And the first reading uh, from the Old Testament is 1 Kings chapter 3. That's page 238. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke, and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, My lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from me. From, sorry. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, No, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, This one says my son is alive and your son is dead, while that one says no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He then gave an order. 
cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Second readings from Revelation 21, uh, verses 9 to 27. It's on page 878 of the Pew Bible. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to, the, to a mountain great and high and showed me a, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. Like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of israel there were three gates on the east three on the north three on the south and three on the west the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb the angel talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city its gates and its walls the city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick, by man's measurements, which the angel was using. The wall was made of jasper, and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated in every kind of precious stone, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carniol, and the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass i did not see a temple in the city because the lord god almighty and the lamb are its temple the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of god gives it light and the lamb is its lamp the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it on no day will its gates ever be shut for there is no not there will be no night there the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. I'd encourage you to flick back to that first reading, the one that Camilla brought to us from 1 Kings. Uh, if you're new visiting amongst us, you're very welcome. Uh, we've been working and we've begun working our way through 1 and 2 Kings. It's uh, 
49 chapters we're trying to cover in uh, seven weeks, which if my maths is right, that's uh, a chapter a day. So if you want to read at home, get into the excitement of the story, please do. Uh, Last week we saw the security of God's kingdom uh, shown through. Uh, And this morning we expect that God will speak to us just as clearly as we prayed earlier, that God will speak to us. Uh, Let's pray that he might speak clearly. Our Lord and Father, we are thankful for you and your word. We're thankful for the freedom we have to meet, to praise you and hear from you. Father, we pray that we would not uh, squander this opportunity by having uh, hard hearts or distant hearts from what you were saying to us today, but we would make the most of it, that your spirit would work in us, give us humble hearts to accept it, and that we would be changed to love what you love and become more and more like our Saviour Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. In case you missed it, uh, just this week Australia was voted the second best place in the world to live. Uh, Not particularly hard to see why we beat most of the rest of the world, no offence to those who are foreigners amongst us, but let's be honest, you're here. Uh, So clearly you agree. Only the Scandinavians, those lovely Norwegians, got ahead of us. And you can see in many ways why, why we've done so well. You know, we've got the weather of North Africa, but without the political instability, we, we can enjoy the outdoors. We, we don't have to have seasonally affected depression. Uh, we've got cultural benefits of the West with the, the added bonus of multiculturalism, and so our food is fantastic. Uh, we've got an economy that seems to have ridden out the GFC. We, we live in a place that is the envy of most of the world. And let's be brutally honest... Uh, we live in a part of Sydney that is envied. It could easily be claimed that we live in the best part of the second best place to live in the entire world. Not sure if it's a catchy enough slogan to put on anything, but... And if you do appreciate what you have, it'd be easy for... And you should, you should appreciate what we have, but it would be easy for us to become content uh, with what this life offers... And many of us are. Um, And even those of us who aren't content think we probably would be content if only we could afford the neighbour's place. (laughs) Now, if you are content and and you do have Sydney-style ambitions, I expect this morning God's word will sow some serious discontent into your heart. So King shows us this morning the glory of God's kingdom. Uh, Today we're going to try and look at Solomon's reign, uh, about 970 to 930 BC. Uh, Under Solomon, God's earthly kingdom was at its peak. Uh, And it's not just interesting history, this is God's living word to us that we look upon. And one thing that the Lord would have us struck with today, here and now, is the unsurpassed glory of his kingdom. So as we look at it, I hope this morning that you actually leave entirely unsatisfied with the normal lot of modern Sydney. I hope you you leave content to settle for nothing less than the unrivaled glory God has on offer. Uh, 1 1 Kings 3 to 10, that's the the section we're trying to cover. Uh, On every measure we see that God's kingdom has no rival. Uh, And and as the writer goes through the highlights of Solomon's 40-year reign, he's careful to frame its glory in this initial prayer, the king's prayer for wisdom. So in 3 verse 5, you've got it open in front of you, Solomon is invited by God to make a request. It's a blank check. Have a look at it again. 3 verse 5, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Yeah, wow. Yeah, the, the maker 
and ruler of the world has handed Solomon this unqualified offer, ask whatever you want. On one hand, um, it reveals God's character, his generosity, doesn't it? Ask whatever you want. And on the other hand, God's offer is opening up a, a little window into Solomon's soul. Now, the kind of question Andrew asked us at the very start of our service, that, you know, we're about to see the secrets of his heart. And as Solomon answers God, we, we see that the description, he, he's described in verse 3 as one who loves the Lord, and he really does. Because uh, in verse 7, he recognises the task ahead of him and he realises he's like a little child in terms of experience. He's not literally, when he says I'm a little child, he's not. He just took another wife. He, he's a grown man. But in terms of what is before him in verse 8, to rule a people beyond counting, he knows he is just like a little kid. He's like you know, a toddler who's had the Lego taken away and told, if you, if you just wouldn't mind finishing that project at Barangaroo, that'd be really helpful. You know, it's kind of, oh, this is beyond me. His heart is exposed. And what does he pray for? He asks for what will help him love the Lord in action. He asks for wisdom. Verse 9, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. You know, get that? Not, not this great people I'm looking after, not my great, no, no, yours. And that request actually frames his reign. It frames the next seven chapters. God does give his kingdom, this unrivaled glory. And, and there are four particular features that are highlighted. The first is answering that prayer, unsurpassed wisdom. Uh, wisdom, when we talk of it, it's beyond intelligence. It's, it's that understanding of reality and being able to live in accord with it. You know, wisdom is, is life lived as God, our maker, would have us live. And Solomon has wisdom in spades. Uh, chapter 3 rolls on. Uh, Camilla just read it, the, the detailed account of Solomon's famous decision over that fought over baby um, as we read these these two grieving women come and both of them are claiming that it, you know the living child is theirs uh, and verse 25 that ruling to to cut the child in half is kind of the brilliant example of thinking outside the box isn't it uh, he exposes the truth if, if it seems cliched when you read that um, it's only because this is 3,000 years old and people have been ripping off the story for ages. People have done research on it. To, there are other similar accounts, but none of them are, are as old as this. This predates them all. They've just been copying it for several thousand years and TV writers are still doing it. Now, but look at the original response, verse 28. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Yet this, this nation is in awe of what God has given that he can wisely care for them. Uh, chapter 4, you can just look, there's a lot of names, aren't there? Uh, it, it's expanding his wise rule. Um, has lots of lists of named administrators and regions of local government and, and the kind of quantity of trade and provisions. It, it, it seems a little dull and tedious, I'll be honest. Uh, that's why we didn't get that part read out. Uh, but the beauty of administration is when it runs well, life is good. So 4.25, the glory of wise administration. Judah and Israel lived in safety, from Dan even to Beersheba. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. Now there's the life, isn't it? That's what good admin does. I'm speaking to a friend in the south. He's living in the south of France at the moment. Uh, he's been telling me the frustration he has of their relaxed attitude to, you know, organisation, administration. He's trying to sort his life out as a foreigner, but nothing moves too fast there. You know, the hours he wastes for no reason. You know, 
the beauty and glory of wise administration is when you don't notice it. You know, it just creates a framework so you can live under the vine. And chapter 4 then finishes uh, with this wide range of Solomon's wisdom. Uh, in, in verse 29 and on, it covers everything. It's not just kind of German-style functionality. It's, it's everything. It's from the arts to the science. It's beautiful, not just functional. It's pleasurable. Uh, in verse 34, 4.34, the lovers of knowledge envy it. And we've got to ask as we look at what God's word is saying here of his kingdom is, you know, do we have wisdom like that? Do we live in a place like, wouldn't you love to share in that? Because it's not just wisdom. Uh, he gives it unsurpassed wealth. Um, it's hinted at in, in the, the kind of provisions they have in chapter 4, but, but it's even more obvious as chapters 5 to, to 9, there's this great building project, particularly the temple. Now, this lavish wealth can't help but go unnoticed. Um, in chapter 6, there's a section where uh, the word gold is used 11 times in 10 verses. You know, it's, it's overflowing with wealth. Um, perhaps the clincher is in 1021, after an inventory of all the, the cash that's flowing into Solomon's reign. 1021, all King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. You get the outrageous wealth that they're splashing around. It's got kind of, oh, silver. I, I don't bother. Not really interested. You know, I, I saw a shop window uh, sign recently that um, stood against the flow of most other stores. You know, every other store's got sale, discount. Um, this shop window had simply, no one regrets buying quality. It's appealing to a certain type of person. <laughs> yeah, and Solomon lived that to the extreme. You know, silver doesn't rate a mention. It's just quality here. And again, we've got to ask, do we know wealth like that? Wouldn't you want a part of it? And you add to the the wealth and the wisdom, uh, the glory of honour, or as we call it, fame. Uh, Under Solomon, Israel was was world-renowned. It was the envy of the nations. Uh, Back in 434, after speaking of Solomon's 3,000 proverbs, his 1,000 songs, his knowledge of biology, we read, men of all nations came to listen Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world. You know, he, his fame means in chapter 5 he can basically bankroll his building projects because other people want to invest in it. Now, the highlight is uh, right at the end of the section in the Queen of Sheba arrives in chapter 10. Um, she, she comes from modern Yemen, we'd call it, and she comes up because she's heard rumours of how great his rule is, how wealthy the kingdom is, how splendid this place is, and the result in 10 verse 4. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon, the palace he'd built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. Quite literally the word there is, she was breathless. You know, she comes to visit and she can testify it really is as glorious as everyone says. You know, it's, it's not the shallow fame of like a, a reality show contestant. This is, you know, where it's all fame and no substance. This is, this is fame that justifies the hype. And, we, and we're pushed to kind of go, wow, wouldn't it be wonderful to share in that? Yeah, and the final feature of this glorious kingdom is divine presence. You know, the God who made the universe is the heart of their kingdom. 
You know, what other nation could claim that? Uh, this privilege means that the writer um, spends the central five chapters of Solomon's reign, so half of the account of his 40 years, detailing how they went and built the temple. Because you know, it's more than wisdom, more than wealth, more than fame. It was the fact that God put an earthly address in the middle of Israel that made their kingdom glorious. Yeah, Solomon himself explained how outrageous it is that the, the transcendent God, the God who is spirit, the God who cannot be contained, chooses to be in the muck of humanity with them. 8.27, have a look at it. 8.27 to the page. But will God really dwell on earth, Solomon asks? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built. You know, he gets it. He knows God is bigger than he can imagine. But God stoops in mercy. You know, God in 9 verse 3 says, I've, I've heard your plea. I've put my name here. Now, what kind of nation? Our nation, no, not our nation, could I say that God is there, present amongst, in the heart of it. If only. See, in its day, no other kingdom came close to the glory of God's kingdom under Solomon. Uh, it put Sydney, uh, I'd suggest even Norway, to shame. Now, our wealth, our, our fame, our wisdom, uh, especially our relationship with God, all gets shown up compared to the glory of living in that kind of kingdom. And, and when, you've, when you've grasped the glory of God's kingdom, the, the point is becoming clear, why it's written is clear. You know, don't be content with anything less than God's kingdom. You know, we, we need to have a godly discontentment uh, and it will be seen in our ambition and it will be seen in our prayers. First, it's going to be seen in our ambition. Uh, th- these scriptures are, are written so that we would, we would long to bask in the wisdom, we would long to kind of share in that wealth, to enjoy the fame, delight in God's proximity. We're, we're supposed to see this glory and, and say, yeah, I want to be in there, I want to be part of that kingdom, I wish I was there. Yes, it's 3,000 years ago, but... But the glory of God's kingdom under Solomon always pointed forward to a greater kingdom of Christ that we can actually be part of. A kingdom that Jesus established and will one day return to complete, where he will transform this world and make it magnificent. Now, in Matthew 6, Jesus tells people, stop, he addresses their ambitions. And he says, stop worrying about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear. Instead, he says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and in all honesty um, you wouldn't take that advice if you thought what he offered was just you know wings and an eternal harp concert would you it's got to be something glorious to give up on the things of this world and seek first he offers so much more now Jesus said of himself in Matthew 12 one greater than Solomon is here uh, in 1 Corinthians 1 Jesus is told talked about as being the wisdom of God for us and we read particularly earlier in, in Revelation 21, Dave read it to us, it's picture language rather than a literal description of the kingdom he's bringing. It's picture language meant to capture some of its greatness. Yeah, and the description is all about magnifying how glorious his kingdom will be. Um, so the wealth of the Solomon, uh, Solomon meant that their, their temple could be covered in gold. In Revelation 21, as we read, uh, there is so much wealth in this kingdom that the streets can be lined with gold. Now, the wealth of Solomon uh, and his, his fame meant that onlookers came and, and they wanted to marvel at it. But in, in Revelation 21, in Christ's kingdom, the honour and the glory of the nations is brought and handed over to him. He has it all. Now, in Solomon's kingdom, God placed his name at the temple. It was a sign for them that God is close, but be careful, don't get too close to him. 
But in Revelation 21, Christ's kingdom has no temple because every barrier between God and humanity is broken down. Now, we are meant to read the, the glory of Solomon and think, I missed out. I really wish I was there with the Queen of Sheba visiting. But we look to Christ's more glorious kingdom and we rejoice and we think, we don't have to miss out, we can be part of it. So I think reflecting on Solomon's reign exposes something dark in a lot of Christian hearts. We have too low ambition. Too low ambition. We only set our targets as high as a slightly bigger place or, or one rung higher on the corporate ladder or finding the perfect partner or having a growing family or having the ideal travel program for the retirement. Or, and they're all good things, but in light of his kingdom and his gospel, they are low targets. They lack ambition. Be honest, um, at the moment, could you be content with what this world offers? If Christ offered to return today in some way, appeared in a dream and said, I'm coming back, I've got a couple of hours, uh, I'm on my way. Other than people you love being unready, is there something you have in this life that you'd prefer him to delay so you could hang on to or get? Now, living in the best part, the second best place in the world, can leave you wanting his kingdom to wait rather than his kingdom come. I say, if that is your heart, you need to study Christ's kingdom and so be saved from your low ambition. Lift your eyes. Now make impeccable holiness your ambition because Hebrews says, without it, no one will see the Lord. Chase after the wisdom that, like Solomon, will help you love the Lord and build his kingdom. I've been reflecting on uh, all the recent conversations I've had with people about uh, Christ's kingdom, about heaven. There's been a common thread in all my recent conversations when I've raised heaven. Tragedy. I've talked about the glory of Christ's kingdom after broken relationships with people. I've spoken to them after they've uh, lost people in death. Uh, I've spoken of Christ's kingdom and heaven with people who are feeling worn and weary and underappreciated. And I realised chatting to a, a group of guys from this congregation yesterday morning uh, that the really dangerous position for us spiritually is that we don't talk about the glory of heaven when we have the times of success. You know, when you get the promotion, when you secure the new house, when, when you have a great holiday, when the baby did arrive safely, that's the time we want to talk about, yeah, isn't it great, but wow, there's something so much better. You know, to get our ambitions lifted and not be content with anything less than his kingdom. Now, the second way it will be seen is, is that godly discontentment is in our prayer life. See, underlying... Uh, all of the glory of God's kingdom is the fact that God is faithfully generous. You know, everything that Israel have, as you read through 1 Kings 3 to 10, is because God is a generous giver. Uh, in 3.28, all the Israelites recognise Solomon's wisdom comes from God. Uh, in 5.7, uh, the king of Tyre, a guy called Hiram, he acknowledges God has been really kind to you in putting Solomon there, that it's God's work. He has been faithful. He has been generous. That, that opening conversation in chapter 3, remember... He makes that request. Solomon says, I like wisdom, whatever you want. Uh, God hears that, he grants that, but he goes further. 3 verse 12 and 13, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you nor ever will be. But moreover, I will give you what you've not asked for, riches, honour, 
so that in your lifetime there will be no equal among kings. Get it, Everything they have, the glory of the kingdom is because God is a generous and faithful God. Yeah, and if we've really been um, shaken to want the glory that he generously offers, it's going to be seen like Solomon in what we ask for, in our prayers, in what we say when God says, ask whatever you want. You know, we will be people who pray, pray big prayers, big, big kingdom prayers. Uh, this week, uh, I said before in notices, we've got another of um, our central prayer meetings coming up uh, Tuesday, Wednesday night. Um, as a staff, we've been discussing uh, the calendar for 2012. And we've wrestled through whether uh, we should keep these central prayer meetings going or simply you know, encourage people in their connect groups to pray. Such a, a you know, relatively small group of people uh, across our whole church family come and, and we are consistently trying to take time burdens away from people. There'd be more people praying if we just leave it in connect groups, close to ending them. I think it's a good thing that it's been overruled. Prayer says so much about ourselves and what we think of God. You know, if we neglect to pray, could it be that we doubt his character? That he isn't generous, that, that he won't be faithful? If we neglect to pray, could it be that we can get glory on our own? We think that. Could it be that we're just content with what this world offers and don't hunger for more? Yes, we can pray about anything and everything, even the small things of this world. But if we just pray small all the time, could it say something about us losing sight? You know, if, if our prayers are just a rotating cycle of you know, family, health and job prospects, have we lost sight of the greater glory, the kingdom he is bringing? You know, have we forgotten Jesus' first lesson in prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And because God is a generous God, we pray discontentedly with this world for something greater to come. We do, I think, live in the best part of the second best place in the world, potentially the best. But that's nothing compared to the unsurpassed glory of Christ's kingdom and what he offers. Let's fix our eyes there. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your great generosity, for the way which you open up a way for us to be part of your kingdom through your Son. We praise you for that great kingdom that you are preparing, for its glory, its wealth, its splendour, the joy that is held out there before us. And we ask that you would help us have great ambition, that we would look forward to and long for there and live for there and strive for there and that we wouldn't be content with anything less that this world offers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.